Welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer with NTEU Chapter 49. Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. I'm here with our weekly podcast. We had a special podcast earlier in the week with our attorney, Thomas Coates, out of the Chicago field office. If you haven't listened to that, it's all about the Hatch Act. It's good information for anyone who works for the federal government and uh, must uh, understand what is and is not allowed in terms of Hatch Act activities. Duncan Charles joins me once again on a beautiful fall afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Duncan. Good afternoon. It's I couldn't tell you if it was the middle of a hurricane or a beautiful fall afternoon for it's, my office. It's it's your normal uh, look at the full uh, window from your office, right? <laughs> <laughs> there is no window at his office, just so you know that. Well, we uh, we haven't had a regular podcast in a couple of weeks. Last week was my fault. I had a a quick uh, trip uh, out west to see my grandson, and it was kind of wasn't planned ahead of time. So uh, we did have a, a, a special podcast earlier in the week with our, as I mentioned, Thomas Coates, the attorney who uh, does a lot of work with NTEU out of the Chicago office. But there has been a lot of news just in the last few days, much less the last two weeks. So let's dive into it, Duncan. This is Friday afternoon, and some information has just come across today. And it has to do with people who are on weather and safety leave. So please give us the news on what's changing on weather and safety leave. Yeah, earlier this week, they came out and said, we're going to be calling back the people on weather and safety leave who are not able to provide medical documentation. National NTU has been all over this and sent out something to every member basically saying, here's what's going on. Here's a sample of the documentation, you know, get it to your medical professional. If you have not had a um, medical documentation in since basically September of last year, a year ago. Um, So, you know, we were all waiting for that shoe to drop, for the self-certification to go away and for it to need to be certified by a medical professional. Well, then they came out and the frequently asked questions that it was, I was reading that and I was going, wait, are they saying that people 65 or older are not in a high-risk group? And I contacted uh, a previous guest on our podcast, uh, Doreen Greenwald, the assistant to Tony Reardon, and she confirmed that is indeed true, that even folks 65 or older, where eight of the 10 deaths from COVID occur per CDC um, literature have to have medical documentation to be able to show that they're high risk from COVID-19. Well, Duncan, I mean, <laughs> being a member of that over 65 crowd myself, I think the one thing I would ask you to, first of all, obviously the, uh, the, the agency knows how many people are 65 and older and working for IRS, I'm not sure that's a large, uh, that, that's a real large population. Is it most people are retired by then? Yeah, the most, and especially most of the folks that are 65 or older are either A, retired, or B, uh, the vast majority, I would have to believe, are working telework positions, that they're already working telework-able positions. They're not 
um, folks that are on WSL. But I would think if you're under WSL, you're 65 and older. I mean, how many of those people are free of any kind of medical condition? Uh, yeah, you just you, sometimes you just see stuff and you're like going, really, is that where you want to go? Really? That, that you're talking about that small a percentage of group of people and you're going to tell them, OK, you're 70 years old. We're not sure if you're you know, high risk for COVID or not. So we want to get a note from your doctor. And I'm sure the doctor is going to be looking at this going, uh, what? <laughs> well, I would think that there'd be no doctor in America that I am from, from with which I'm familiar that would uh, not certify that you're high risk if you're 65 or older. Uh, just if that fact alone, based on the data that we have. So uh, what I'm hearing you say is it's sort of the... Uh, feeling amongst you and other NTU officials that uh, the, the agency is just going overboard on this. Yeah, I understand wanting to get documentation. I truly do. I can sit there and say, okay, we've had people off for six months. They've self-certified. We just want to make sure that medical professionals are agreeing with the people that are saying, hey, look, I'm high risk for COVID, especially since what's considered high risk for COVID has changed as we've learned more about, uh, you know, how the coronavirus operates. So, you know, the CDC guidance has changed a couple of times, which, like I said, I understand all of that. But when you've got such a small subset that are 65 or older that are not on telework, that are on WSL, weather and safety leave, and you're asking those folks to have to get documentation from a medical professional, certified health professional, to be able to remain on WSL, I just, my mind is blown. And just so people know, if let's say you're under 65 and you do have a medical condition and you're being treated by one or more physicians for that condition, uh, what are the requirements, what specifically do you have to give the management to prove this? What documentation, is, as precisely as you know it now, will have to be submitted? Uh, and National NTU did a sample form that they sent out with the uh, information. And if somebody doesn't have that and needs it, we can certainly get that to them. But it should have gone to their home email address as well. And it's basically just saying that this employee is high risk for COVID-19. And then it has the doctor's name and certification and all that. It does not have to give any diagnosis, prognosis, anything of that nature it just has to certify from a medical professional that um, that you're at high risk. I have already heard some managers when they've had the conversations with employees say that, oh, it's going to need more than that. And I've already contacted some executives and said, no, it, it is not calling for anything more than that. It just calls for a medical certification that these folks are high risk for COVID-19. Uh, you've, I know people know this, but just as a reminder, uh, people don't always read everything they get uh, in detail. What's Is there a deadline Then this must be submitted? Yeah, the deadline on this, and this is going to be going out in letter form uh, to all impacted individuals, is going to be October 13th. Uh, they're going to have to report back to work. If they don't have their documentation in by then, they're going to have to report back to work uh, by then. It'll be they want the documentation two day, two weeks from the date of the letter. I'm assuming the date of the letter is going to be somewhere um, around somewhere 16th to the 20th 
of September. So they'll want the documentation within two weeks to show up by the October 13th date. Here's one thing that came to mind as you're des- describing this. Because COVID is, is sometimes crowding out uh, the medical system, what if you have an employee that just is unable, unable to get that documentation? Let's say the doctor insists on seeing you. I'm not sure that's going to be the case in every case or even in most cases. But if you need to get in to see the, the physician or the physician's assistant or whoever's doing this, uh, what if you're having a problem meeting that timeline? What, what should people do? Basically, they get another two-week extension. They need to contact their manager and say, look, exactly what you described. I'm trying to get into my doctor to get you this documentation that you need. It's going to take me a little bit more time. But they're able to get a two-week extension on getting the documentation in. But from what we've seen, there's not going to be an extension past that two extra weeks. Okay, so really it would amount to a month if you get the extension, and you just have to ask for that. But you that should give you enough time to get your statement. And if you need to see your physician, if that's a requirement in that medical practice, you can get that done. We, you and I have talked about this really since the inception of uh, weather and safety leave, that we knew this day has been coming. And I'm just amazed that the agency is, uh, has waited so long, although I'm wondering if they had the ability to even process it until now. And that, and that may have played a part in it. I have not heard that, but that crossed my mind as well, saying, okay, great, we've got all these medical certifications. Who's going to, who's going to be going through these? Is it going to be the managers? Is it going to be you know, sent to a specific address? If so, are we going to have the people that are able to do that? So I, I, that crossed my mind as well. So Federal Occupational Health, FOH, which is supposed to review medical documentation for people at the IRS and other agencies, my last word from you on that was that they had barely anybody working. Well, has that changed or have you heard? Uh, that has not changed from my understanding, and I'm not sure that these are going to go to FOH because, again, we're not describing in detail at all any medical uh, prognosis or diagnosis. None. Doesn't have to be that. Basically, it's a yes, they are high risk or no, they're not. So it's a yes or no question for the doctor. No more detail required, as you mentioned. So uh, there should not be any medical review needed, as I understand it then, right? I you know, have not seen a copy of the notice yet from the IRS, so I don't know who they're wanting it to be sent back to. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So, so as long as it's not me. <laughs> Neither you nor I are qualified to do that. But uh, yes, weather and safety leave. Do you have an estimate as to how many NTEU Chapter 49 members are on this, or do you have a feel for it? What's your? If you don't know, what is your guess? I don't know for sure. My guess would be somewhere... Um, uh, well, if you don't want to guess, that's okay. But you'd say, it, what did you say... Would, a handful, a handful, maybe. No, I think it's more than a handful. I think okay. we could have uh, possibly around fifty people or so. Okay, that's not a s- small number, in, a, in the uh, number of people that NTU Chapter Forty Nine represents. All right, very good. So, if people have questions or concerns, they just ring you up, and that, just as a reminder, your phone number is three one seven six one three seventeen thirty one, and. Uh, the reason I'm laughing is uh, right now 
my my IRS phone is quote registering unquote. It decided to do that this afternoon, so I have hopefully by the time somebody hears this and calls, my phone will be registered and actually working. Yeah. Well, I think I tried to call you and got your message. I think they did. It's, they've shut you off during the so-called registration period. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, yeah, leave a message if you got a question, Duncan. We'll get back to you. So weather and safety leave. Uh, we knew this was coming. It's now here. Any other comments or any any other items people need to know about that? No. This is this is pretty straightforward. Uh, don't overthink it. Don't have your physician overthink it. Take a look at that sample form. I think it's a very good sample form that National NTU provided. Have your doctor's office fill that out. Have the doctor sign it. You should be good to go. If you have any issues from that, absolutely contact me, and I'll work it from there. All right. We are talking on September the 18th, a Friday afternoon, and IRS employees will be receiving their pay over the next few days, depending on whether it's direct deposit, although most people have that. Uh, the deposits aren't all done on the same day, depending on your financial institution. But, yes, yeah, so the payroll will be coming in, and uh, as I understand it, people will have, uh, if they don't have any other changes in their withholding or in their payroll situation, they're going to have more money in their deposit. And that will be because the Social Security withholding will end at least for the rest, I think, most of the rest of this year. So there have been new developments on, on this whole deferral of Social Security tax withholding. Uh, tell us what the developments have been. Go back a couple of weeks if you want. Just uh, walk us through it. Yeah. What, again, what's happened with this is this has come from an executive order from the president to say, okay, I do have the Social Security, not Social Security and Medicare, but Social Security taxes deferred to uh, basically stimulate the economy. He was hoping to get a tax holiday, which means it would not have to be repaid. To do that, that would take literally an act of Congress. Uh, since Congress right now can't agree on what day it is, I, it didn't happen and I don't foresee this happening. And that means just about the only people that are impacted are going to be uh, federal employees in the executive branch and the military. I've heard of very few, if any, private companies who can volunteer to do this if they wish that are going forward to do it just because it has to be repaid. And so what's going to happen, and we finally got news that it is going to happen this pay period, which is like you alluded to, will be hitting this weekend is that for folks making less than $4,000 a pay period, and that includes overtime, that they are going to have um, their Social Security taxes not deducted from their paycheck. Of course, the issue is it does have to be repaid if Congress doesn't make it a holiday, and that's going to start in January. So basically from now until the end of the year with paychecks, they won't be taking out Social Security, but then it's going to be owed. We're hearing, but we can't, there's no official word on this, that they're strongly looking at taking out double Social Security starting January 1st. If that is the case, then your paycheck is going to be that much shorter starting January 1st through April. So that's why we are highly recommending that you take that extra money that you're getting now through the end of the year and put it aside, put it in a savings account, something of that nature, where you can start paying yourself back then in 
January if they do take it out like that? Will there be an option to pay it all off at once if you saved up that money or wish to do it that way? We don't know. I think that's going to be uh, tough to do accounting-wise, but we don't know. People have talked about doing federal tax withholding, extra withholding, to cover that amount. You can do that. The problem's going to be is, again, if it comes out and they start taking making it double in January, and you're not going to get that tax refund until late February or March, then those weeks in January, February, and potentially March, you're going to be short a pay. You're going to be short on your paycheck by six point two percent, and you don't really want to do that to yourself either. So, it's it's just something that's uh, you know coming about, and it's it's giving yourself a short term loan at no interest that you don't really need, and it's got to be paid back immediately. Yeah, one question that I think is still up in the air, but I think we're beginning to get some indications. And, uh, and Ken Moffat, when we uh, had him as our guest a while back, uh, alluded to this. One of the un- unanswered questions had to do with, okay, you leave the government toward the end of this year. Uh, you, did, you, all, you had all this deferred Social Security tax that was, uh, is going to be owed in 2021. Uh, how's that going to be collected? I think the government will send you a bill for that if they can find you. <laughs> But it's going to be sort of like a, a student loan debt, you know, debts, other kinds of debts where um, refunds are are tapped. You know, it's a federal government debt where if you have a refund in a future year, it might, re, you know, it might be taken to, to pay for that. Although we don't know for sure, that appears to be the case. Have you heard anything differently? No, I have not. And that's that's precisely the thing. It's like if people switch jobs, leave the government, retire how is this going to be paid back? If they choose to do double and we do get a 1% pay raise, which is what the president has proposed and Congress has been silent on. So if there's a 1% pay raise next year, they'd literally be taking more out of social security tax out than they are now. So if they do double, will they be taking extra social security tax out? How is that going to be weighed? You know, we just, there's a lot of unanswered questions still out there. Yeah, that extra will be based on the new payroll or the payroll for the previous year. That's a really good question. And I've not seen any answer to that, have you? No, none. And if they if they say, okay, we'll, we'll make sure it's adjusted to your last year's payroll. So they're going to take a look at everybody's individual uh, paychecks because it can vary paycheck by paycheck depending upon if folks are getting overtime. And there is overtime out there right now for people on the phones, people in the service centers. There, are, There is overtime. So there are going to be variables out there. And I think to administer this is going to be a, a huge, huge headache. I think the payroll system will, I hate to use this word, will be taxed <laughs> for this. That was a bad, that was a bad pun. I, sh- I take that back. <laughs> Very appropriate. I probably shouldn't have said that when that was bad. All right. There's something else that is apparently in the works, and uh, you and I have seen this basically in some of the federal employee news websites uh, that we use to kind of update everybody else on our Facebook page. You can always check our Facebook page uh, at NTEU Chapter 49 Indiana. Just search for that, and you can follow, like our, our Facebook page if you wish. But I have noticed there is a proposal of rulemaking that has come out where the um, 
the administration is proposing uh, the uh, a 10-year temporary employee idea. Now, normally, if you're a temp employee, IRS doesn't hire as many temp employees as other agencies, but we do them now, hire them now and then. What happens is they're normally on a one-year appointment up to a year. You can get it extended, but it get, you have to go through some rigmarole to do that. What the administration is proposing that uh, people could be appointed to a temporary job for up to 10 years. Now, the major issue here is that temporary employees normally don't get anything close to the benefit package that you do if you're a hired full-time uh, and that would include the health insurance. I remember I was a temp employee a long time ago. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember that year, that or there was less than a year, actually, that I was a temp employee. I was not eligible for a health insurance plan from the federal government. Uh, I don't know about you. I think this is a bad idea. What do you think? I think it's a very bad idea. And, um, you know, actually... Uh, very recently, Tony Reardon, our national president, spoke on it at a Senate hearing um, where they were only recommending, at that point, six years was the discussion. This was before even it had come out uh, via the Office of Personnel Management, OPM, from the White House. And and I know this is going to shock a lot of people, but when there have been term appointments, they've been abused for the very reason that you talk about that, you know, you don't have to offer them as many in benefits, as much as benefits, so they don't cost the government as much. And once that period is over, it's not like that they can say, okay, we're going to flip you over to a full-time employee, a uh, career conditional employee. They're done, period, out. And how the OPM is framing this is that, well, there are many people that want to work on government projects but they don't want to work for the government for the rest of their lives. So this way it would give flexibility for those type of projects. And my retort to that would be, well, if they opened up those spots, career conditional, and the people applied and got them, when they were ready to leave, then they could leave on their own and they would still have you know, the benefits, be vested in the, uh, uh, the retirement, their savings, things of that nature where I think it's going to hurt a lot of people if they are able to go forward with this uh, term employee. Yeah, it's interesting because I I really, I was one of the last employees hired under the old CSRS system, and I benefited from that. I, that's the retirement system I have. I was hired just a few months before the first system was implemented. But if you look at, I mean, I think when, for the people who were hired back in those days, like myself, those people referred to those as, as golden handcuffs. I mean, if you left the government, you really left a lot of retirement money on the table. FERS is not like that. FERS has a much more portable system. And uh, I, I think it's a, I don't really see how you can make a cogent argument that you can't make people career conditional. They can move to another job much more easily now than in the old days. Exactly so. Exactly so. Yeah, this just, uh, I, I don't see any benefit of this for any employee, let's put it that way, or prospective employee. Um, this definitely benefits um, the agencies, but it is not a good deal for employees. And I'd hate to have to see people that uh, could and should be um, career conditional employees 
uh, have to come in under this type of circumstance. Well, our final subject is something we talk about at least once a year, sometimes more often than that. The government is set to run out of money at the end of September. We are in a fiscal year, so the um, the budget year for the federal government begins on October 1st, and there has been virtually no movement. There's some, some uh, appropriation bills, spending bills have have passed a committee or a house, but there, there's nothing close to enough uh, a budget agreement to fund the government after the end of this month. So what happens in a case like that, and it's happened many times going back to the Carter and Reagan administrations, what you have to do is come up with a continuing resolution. What that means is the budget's not ready. We don't know when it will be ready, so uh, the government will continue to be funded at the previous year's funding level, and any extra money that comes in or changes will come when the new budget is enacted by the Congress. So that's where we're at now. You know, I, there's a saying that we've had for years, and, and, and the media uses this too, when there's a, a continuing resolution to CR up. Can we pass what they call a clean CR? What that means is, there are a lot of issues before the Congress. We're not going to debate them in the continuing resolution. We're not going to put little add-ons there, um, uh, whatever you want to call them. There's a lot of names people give them, but Christmas tree ornaments, if you wish, in the form of legislation. So CRs need to be clean, but it's been very difficult to do that. So what end up, ends up happening, it's another political football where each party wants to put a little something in there before they can agree on a continuing resolution. That's my understanding of where it stands now. That debate's going on uh, behind closed doors. So what's what are you hearing from our legislative department, other leaders, any other sources you have as to where the continuing resolution is going? Um, right now, as my best understanding, as we talk Friday afternoon, uh, Steny Hoyer, House Majority Leader um, has said that there will be a continuing resolution coming out of the House sometime next week. Now, how long that's going to be for, um, we have no idea how, as you said, how clean, if they're going to be any what they call riders amendments to it, that might make it tough to pass one, uh, either the House or the Senate. We don't know yet. Um, this is always a nerve-wracking thing, and especially in an election year right now, they're having a tough time agreeing on much of anything, but we do have to keep the government funded. It's in no one's interest, I would think, to shut the government down at the end of September. So I've got to believe that they will come up with something that they can uh, at least, you know, hobble through, maybe not pass with a wide majority, but at the very least hobble through both the House and the Senate that would be acceptable to the White House to sign. So we will uh, continue to go on and not have a shutdown. Yeah, one issue that I understand is at the center of this is, is not just the, like I said, the little writers that are put on there. This particular issue is, and it has to be part of the CR, how long will it go? You alluded to that. Uh, most everybody wants it to go past the election on November 3rd. But how far after that will it continue uh, until it has to be dealt with, either renewed or a, bu a final budget is passed? 
So uh, uh, there's where politics does come into it. Some people want it to be shorter. Some people want it to be longer. So I have, you know, Steny Hoyer, you mentioned him. He's in the leadership of the House, as you mentioned, and has been a, 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 staunch, a staunch supporter of federal employees his entire political career. He uh, has a, a Maryland district, which is adjacent to D.C., so a ton of federal employees are residing in his district. So he has always been one. If he's in, in, at the forefront, he, if he's in the discussion, he is going to advocate for us to the extent that he can. So I think that's that's one one thing I will say. But we still don't know what will happen. But really, this needs to get done next week, right? Yeah, yeah. We're there's there's not a whole lot of time for them to uh, to dither and talk about it because it has to be done in the next. In the next 12 days, after 12 days, the government is essentially, as you said, run out of money budget-wise. So we're not able to pay people, not able to open things, keep things open. Um, and I, I can't imagine them. I really can't imagine them wanting to shut things down. But as you said, how long after, um, you know, we, we know it's got to go past the election. Is it going to go into January when the new House, the new Senate, and either another term for the president or, um, you know, a president-elect will be taking over? How is that going to play into it? Yeah, when, you, when, yeah. You're, when you're unable to uh, fund the inauguration, things are getting bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like there, there are a lot of moving parts to this. So I, you know, because once... Once they come back after the election, if the CR is shortly after the election and there's a lot of turnover, how motivated are the folks who aren't going to be there in January going to uh, care about the government continuing to run if they know they're not going to be a part of it two months later? We don't know. And they call that a lame duck Congress. And we already know there have been a number of members in the Senate and the House who've announced they're not running for re-election. So those are definitely, they've been lame ducks for a while, I guess. And anyone who loses their re-election campaign from either party uh, is is going to be a lame duck. So the question is, that you remember our last major shutdown happened right at Christmas time. That was really yep. great timing and lasted well into January and really didn't have benefit anybody. So it uh, you hope that uh, cooler heads will prevail, but... You just never know, Duncan. Our, speaking of that, we our time is about up. Any final thoughts? Uh, anything you want to say before we wrap it up? No, I just hope uh, everybody continues to stay safe, wear a mask, um, make sure that you're socially distancing, and you know, make sure that you're you're taking care of one another out there because that's what we have to do. Duncan Giles, President, NTEU Chapter Forty Nine. I'm Larry Landon. Thanks for listening. Be safe and take care.